podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It's Friday, the 27th of November. The weekend is here, and we can wave goodbye to another week. Uh, we're brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Just before we begin, two quick corrections from yesterday. Number one, I think I said it was 19 years since Maradona had left Napoli. It's obviously 29 years, uh, so a longer period of time, and yet still idolised. And I think I also implied or suggested that Peron was the dictator of Argentina. Of course, it wasn't him. It was after he died, his wife became the uh, prime minister or the president. She was then overthrown by the military junta. It was them who were the dictators of the country. Uh, just wanted to correct those things because why why wouldn't I? Uh, of course it's Friday, which means I'm joined by Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am good. How are you? Good to hear. I am outstanding, Guy. Outstanding. Games are back. No more European nonsense for another couple of days. Um, we've got a full slate of games, and it, it's nice this weekend. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So uh, this is my favorite type of, of weekend. I like how it's laid out. The games aren't too cramped up together. Um, Sunday's a bit a bit of an easier schedule as well with only three rather than four. So this to me is good. I love Friday night football. I love games under the lights on a Friday night. I think it really starts the weekend off well. So if you're ready, we'll get started. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, as you say, Friday night game, uh, prime video, um, so a bit different for everyone at home. Crystal Palace v Newcastle. Not exactly the most exciting game on paper, but we saw Palace without Wilfred Zaha last week. Newcastle have a, seemingly a lot of injury problems, and mm. I think Steve Bruce mentioned a, a coronavirus-free people. He didn't say if there were players or staff, though. So this could be a interesting game just for the team sheets alone. Yeah, this could be this could be a bit of a a bit of a stinker. To be fair, it could ruin my my Friday night experience. Um, last week, obviously, Crystal Palace played Burnley in a game that was destined to be a one nil win, except for Chris Wood ruining it early on. Uh, well, he didn't ruin it. The Crystal Palace defence ruined it with their ineptitude. Early on, um, and then the nil-nil played out as you'd have expected. Although it was a pretty decent game, and there was good football played by both. Uh, Palace will be without James Tompkins, Connor Wickham, Wayne Hennessy, and Nathan Ferguson. They do have doubts over Luka Milivojevic and Wolf Zaha. Both of them will have. Um, well, they're, they're the two I think with, with COVID at Palace. 
So they'll have tests to see if they're able to play. Um, hopefully they are because Palace need both, especially Zaha. And the thing is, last weekend, we saw Eberichi play exceptionally well, but Palace are still so overly reliant on Wolf Zaha that even before a player would feed the ball to Easy, who was in great form, they would look for Zaha, who wasn't there. So it was kind of weird. Um, as for Newcastle, uh, Ryan Fraser is a doubt. Dubravka's ruled out. Lachelle's is a doubt. Dwight Gale is a doubt. Paul Dummett, Andy Carroll, and Alan St. Maximum are all ruled out. So, again, key players there, especially Jamal Lachelle's, who's the leader of that defense, the leader of the team in many ways, and he's a big, big blow. Um, but that kind of balances out the lack of Zaha at the other end. So, I'm expecting a fairly dull, tight affair, but I do think Palace at home should just have a little bit too much for Newcastle. I'm going to say it's a 2-1 win to Crystal Palace. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I think we'll, we'll get a lot of answers, um, a lot of questions answered when the team sheets come out, probably. Um, but moving on to Saturday, the early kickoff on BT Sport um, to Jurgen Klopp's delight. Uh, Brighton v Liverpool. Um, suspensions and injuries taken away. What could potentially be a really fun fixture? Because even from not not from Liverpool's side, but Lamptey being suspended, he, he's probably their main threat. Um, mm. Bit of a shame, really. It is a bit of a shame, and. Both sides have been badly hit by injuries thus far. Uh, Lamptey, like you said, is suspended. Uh, Leandro Trossard is expected to be back, but he will have a late fitness test to see if he can start. Davy Proper is back, which is big news for them. They've badly, badly missed him in midfield. Adam Lallana is is out. Uh, Solly March has a late fitness test. Florian Andone, Alexis McAllister, Jose Esquerde, and Christian Walton all out. Christian Walton could make it, but he, he's not going to play either way. Uh, but the rest are, are out. They're coming off a very, very good win last weekend over Aston Villa, and they'll be in confident form. They will expect on their home ground to give a good accounting of themselves, and with Liverpool having so many injuries, it is a good opportunity for Brighton, though you do feel that without Lamptey, they're really going to lack a real threat to Liverpool. I mean, they could go with Mope and uh, Trossard up front as a pair, maybe with Connolly or just as the two, and hope that their pace and movement will cause Liverpool problems. I think we might see them step away from that back three for this game, um, try and be a little bit more solid, maybe go Veltman, Webster, Dunk, Dan Byrne, and then stick Ben White in midfield alongside Basuma. Uh, potentially even in midfield alongside Basuma and Davy Proper, and then go with Trissard and um, Trissard and Mope up front, and then one of Gross or Solly March, depending. If they go with just the two midfielders, they might go with both of them as wide players um, and hope just to outwork Liverpool. Liverpool will be without Trent Alexander-Arnold. Thiago Alcantara is a major doubt, not expected to even make the bench. Joe Gomez is out for the season. Jordan Henderson is back in training. I have doubts that he'll make this game. 
If I'm Liverpool, I'm not playing him. He's had four injuries already this calendar year. Uh, so you want to give him a little bit of time to get back. Jordan Shakiri's out. Naby Keita is out. Virgil van Dijk is out for the season. And Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is close to a return, but not quite there just yet. So obviously, a massive injury list for, for Liverpool. They're going to have to mix and match again, as they did against Leicester and in midweek against Atalanta. They'll be wanting a bounce back from the Atalanta performance, which was an atrocity by any measure. So I'm expecting something from the champions here. And I'm expecting them to win this game. I think they still have too much quality. I think we'll still see at least two of the usual front three start. Um, I think Mane might get a rest in this one. And by rest, I mean he'll come on in 55 minutes because Klopp doesn't like to give players games off. But um, I'm going to say a 3-1 Liverpool win. Yeah, I think it should be it should be fun either way. Um, but moving on, uh, next game, Man City v Burnley, also on BT Sport. Um, in years past, this game literally would be 5-0 every time, and mm. it nearly was for Man City. Even last year, when they weren't at their uh, dizzying heights of 17, 18, 18, 19, I think they still won 5-0. But is this going to be the game where it shows that Man City really are different? Because they've obviously had a poor start, but if they can't beat Burnley 5-0, which is their thing, it's a worry, isn't it? Yeah, it does. It will, it will suggest that they've, they've fallen off quite far. Um City have been poor this season. There's no way around it. I mean, there's a reason they're in 13th. I know they have a game in hand. But that game in hand is, is Villa, and that's not an easy game at all. Even if they win the game, they don't go above Villa, who are in 7th. So, um, well, they could win it if they, if they beat Villa like 5-0, but that's not going to happen. So, um, I, I don't I don't see them beating Burnley 5-0 five, five this time out. I do think they'll win the game. Now, City's only injury is Nathan Aki, which is tremendous for them to have everybody coming back. So Aguero's back, uh, Sterling is back. You'd expect both of them will start in the front three. Um, Everybody's fit in midfield. They'll have their first choice defense, whatever that may be. Like We know the right back and two center backs. Left back is the question. Burnley are without Jack Cork, who would obviously start for them. But then Dale Stevens and Robbie Brady would only be squad players. The big one is Nick Pope. Um, Nick Pope picked up a, a head injury um, in making a late save against Benteke. And there are doubts over whether he will start. I If he doesn't start then perhaps the 5-0 is is on. Um, although Bailey Peacock-Farrell is a decent goalkeeper. But I'm going to say City to win 3-0. Because I just... I, they're not the same team this year. They're struggling to score goals. This is a team that has routinely scored 100 goals a season in the Premier League. This season they've scored 10 in 8 games. They normally average close to 3 a game. And they're averaging just over one a game. They're not creating chances like they used to. Teams have... have, Without that real threat on the left-hand side to really stretch the play horizontally and vertically, City have become a little bit predictable. 
And teams have figured out that if you man-mark Kevin De Bruyne, you're not going to stop him, but you can limit his effectiveness and take away some of his passing angles. And they're doing it to great success. Does the and lack of David Silva replacement compound that even more? That's exactly what the problem is. Before, when teams would do it, David Silva would just become the main play ba- playmaker. And De Bruyne would play a little bit more off ball. He'd float out the wings. And Silva would pick up the slack in, in the center of the park. And this year, you expected that one of Bernardo Silva or Phil Foden would would take that mantle and run with it. Because they're obviously... Phil Foden is as talented a young player as there is in the league. And Bernardo Silva is is just a tremendous footballer. And you just expected that one of them would seize the day and, and take the chance that was being presented to them to establish themselves in central midfield. And thus far, it hasn't happened. And you don't blame Foden. He's still so young. Bernardo Silva has been massively disappointing this season. He didn't have a good season last year either, to be fair. But you just you need City need one of them to step up. They really need one of them to step up, and it needs to happen soon. Pep has gone with Gundogan a couple of times in, in the midfield. And while he's a good player... He doesn't offer that same kind of thrust, doesn't offer the dribbling ability. So he can't he can't break down a defense in in two different ways, the way Silva could, the way Bernardo can, and the way Foden can. He can pass the ball through a defense, but what made Silva so brilliant was the ability to not just do it with the pass, but to do it off the dribble as well. And that was something that City always had in their locker, that even against those deep-lying deep block, packed defences, David Silva could always find a little way to jink through a couple of defenders and open things up. And then it was that little little slide ball to Aguero. Without Bernardo or Phil Foden stepping up to do that this year, City have become a little bit stagnant. And they've lost, they've lost twice already. They've dropped points five times. Like, that's very, very unusual for Manchester City to drop points five times in a season, let alone in a um, in eight games. I mean, when you look back at their 100-point season, they drop points only six times in the entire year, six times the next year. Um, that's That was the level that they'd set themselves. And, you know, this season, they're going to have a... You'd imagine they'll struggle to get through 12 games without dropping points for the sixth time. So uh, they could be looking at more like last season where they dropped points eight times. Interestingly, Liverpool dropped points in six games last year. So maybe that's the marker. (laughs) Maybe that's what you're allowed to do. Um, Liverpool have have dropped points three times this year. So they've got got three in the bag. City only won. Uh, Yeah, I'll say Burnley uh, give a, a decent account of themselves but ultimately come out on the wrong end of a 3-0 defeat. Yeah, and on to the next game. Um, This should be fun, because neither team can defend. (laughs) Um, Everton v Leeds. Um, Again, injuries are going to be a big story this this Mm. season. We we saw um, Everton without Luca Dina a few games ago, and we talked about the the lack of left-footed balance or left-sided balance. There and obviously, I I think Paul Joyce said months rather than weeks the other day. Um, this could be a huge problem for Everton. 
yeah, the the loss of Luca Dina is massive for them. They're already without Seamus Coleman, the starting right back. Um, Gabaman has been out, I think, since the day he signed. He's played about four games since signing over a year ago. But losing Luca Dina is just massive. He is, when you watch them play, he's he's the number one source of supply for um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. When James Rodriguez, who's their playmaking hub, gets the ball, his number one target is always Luca Dina. Because he's just always available on that left-hand side. He's one of the best left-backs in the league. And they do have a decent back up there in Niels and Conco, but he's very young, very inexperienced. So you you just you wouldn't like to put too much expectation on him. As you said, Paul Joyce said this is months rather than weeks. Um, it's a shame as well. It's an injury picked up in training. So, you know, it's just, it's really unfortunate. This is... This was shaping up to be a really fun game as well because it's Carlo and it's Bielsa. So you're getting two legendary mm. managers, both widely held in high esteem for, for very for different things. I mean, Carlo because of what he's won. Bielsa because of his tactical innovations. I think his lunacy and, um, you know, firebrand personality have gained him a lot of... of, of uh, of love over the years. Leeds will be without Jamie Shackleton, uh, Gaetano Berardi, and Adam Forshaw. There is a small chance that Pablo Hernandez and uh, Diego Lauriente make this one, but they have been downgraded from likely to uh, to unlikely over the last couple of days, so we'll, we'll probably have to rule both of them out. Um, th- this is tough. This is really tough. Like you said, Leeds can't defend. Everton haven't been great defending, but you'd hope that Holgate's going to come back into the team uh, quite soon. And he he will improve them defensively, especially if they just give him and Godfrey an opportunity to play together. Um, I did have a question for today from Jason Bond. Um, with Everton and Villa going neck and neck and um, Ollie Watkins and Dominic Calvert-Lewin both going well, who do you think suffers more from the respective injuries this week? So obviously, I said Villa's injury is, is the Barkley one, um, and this is the Everton one, and I think it's Everton. Agree. I do think it's Everton. I I just think he's irreplaceable for them. Like, he's he's such a good crosser. He causes every team problems with his, with his pace, with the, the clever runs he makes, with the timing of his runs. And with his crossing, I think it's Everton. Like he is the main source of supply for Calvert Lewin. If only Lurton Burn stuck around. <laughs> if he'd stuck, like that's the thing. If he'd stuck around for one more year, he could give them. Like he obviously couldn't play every game for the next few months, but he could give them, you know, two out of every three games. And at least mm. with Baines, he, I mean, he couldn't defend. He couldn't ever defend. He was never a good defender. Uh, more so now than than back in the day when he at least had a bit of pace. But, I mean, he could cross the ball exceptionally well. Um, it's big pressure on, on Nkunku. I, I don't think they'll play him in every game. I think they may have to find some creative solutions. It wouldn't surprise me if we see Everton play a back a back three. Well, Awobi played maybe... right wing back, didn't he, last game? Who? Awobi. 
It will be. He did. And it wouldn't surprise me if he plays left wing back. Now, he won't give you a natural left footer, but at least he'll give you pace and directness out there. Um, and maybe John Joe Kenny comes in at right wing back mm. and then um, say Godfrey and, and Holgate either side of Mina or Keane. I think that might be an option for Everton. The other option that they'll have, and I think it's something we will see them do in, in a bunch of these games, is uh, Fabian Delph at left back. He obviously played there for City and, and did quite well there for City. I forgot he existed. So did I. He's literally just popped into my head, um, which is a shame because I, I've, I've always had a you know had an admiration for him because I think he's a player who's gone about his career in in a pretty admirable way. Um, I think he's you know he's one of those hard workers who gets on with things and ha- has decent views on the game. Um, good Yorkshire lad as well, <laughs> the most Yorkshire person in the world. <laughs> he is, he is, and he lo- he doesn't look it, but he is the most Yorkshire person in the world. Um, the basics of football. <laughs> That's not my Yorkshire accent. That might be. I don't know. I but mean, it was that, that came out very Beatleish. I won't lie. Did it? It did a bit. No, well, we'll take that. Uh, Fabian Delph, obviously less um, less a member of the Beatles than myself. He is like um, It's fine. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. exactly. That, well, that's what that's what it is. That this is the new accent that he has, <laughs> influenced by where he's been living for the last while. See, I'm I'm ahead of the game here. Um, yeah, I, I think what you might see is you might see Delph play either left back or left wing back in, in it with a back three, uh, and Kunku will get some games, and I think we'll see a Wobi there as well as Carlo tries to make things work. Uh, for this game, oh, this is going to be a tough one. I'd be really interested to see how Leeds cope mm. with James Rodriguez. Do they man-mark the life out of him the way they like to go man-to-man? But given how he floats around so much, are they willing to let someone trail him and potentially leave a gap? They'll have a tough time dealing with Calvert-Lewin, we know that. And Richarlison will cause problems because his pace up against Luke Ayling, there's only one winner there. I, st- I fancy Everton in this one. I really do. I'm going to say Everton win this one. Mm. But I think it's going to be, I think there'll be goals. I think it's going to be 3-2. I mentioned, I think... I mentioned on uh, Today Was Show yesterday, Leeds is pr- not a worry, but if Patrick Bamford is your literally only goal scorer. It doesn't sound promising. Like, I'm sure Leeds fans, if I said that before the start of the season, would be... What's a PG way <laughs> putting this? Worried. <laughs> Very worried. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think... Big signs for them recently, though. Rodrigo looks like he's coming to grips with the Premier League a little bit. And Rafinha is finally fit and ready to contribute. So those will be big helps. But as you said, the the lack of goals outside of Bamford is a little bit of a concern. And even with Bamford, I mean, he doesn't have a track record of, of scoring at this kind of level. So you'd wonder, can he maintain the start he's made? Uh, hopefully for Leeds, he can. But it wouldn't surprise me if they go out in January and maybe look to add another striker. Um, I think Leeds will be aggressive again in January as they were in the summer. So don't be surprised if they drop another 
40 million or so on on two or three players um this will be a tough test for both teams yeah i'm gonna go everton 3-2 but also dini is huge Mm. it should be for either um Probably the biggest game of the weekend so far. I mean, there's two clashes, one at the bottom and one at the the top of the table, and this is the bottom one. Um, West Brom v Sheffield United. Um, West Brom obviously haven't started the season well, but that was kind of expected because they left all their business late. Um, there's a bit of upheaval with the, the potentially selling the club and all that stuff. But Sheffield United have started the season so badly, lucky to be on a point. Is this a six-pointer and is this a must-win for Sheffield United? Because if West Brom win, I mean, what what is that? A five-point gap? Six-point yeah. gap? If West Brom win, Sheffield United are a minimum of three points off every team in the league. Fulham um, have four points at the moment. So... I mean, if if Fulham were to win and if Burnley somehow got a point against City, you could see a minimum five-point gap to everybody. And that's a lot at this point in the season. As you said, Sheffield United have started the season terribly. They they have one point. They're very, very lucky to have that point um, gifted to them by Fulham's inability to take penalties and then not do stupid things in their own box. West Brom have shown far more promising signs. I mean, they gave Chelsea a hell of a game, should have beaten them. They deserved at least a point against uh, United last weekend. They were, yeah. like, let's be honest, they were robbed. They were robbed of a point by an incompetent. Just a wee bit. <laughs> um, in fairness, they were robbed of the win because they should have had a penalty and the United one should not have been a penalty because of the foul by Fred and the build-up. So, in truth, they were denied three points. You You'd expect that maybe United would have got a, would have found a goal from somewhere as they as they tend to do, but you know, West Brom should be slightly better off than they are. Um, I really like West Brom when I when when they go forward and it starts to click. I think Carlin Grant and Pereira have a, a really good understanding, and Diangan is a quality player as well. I think that front three will be will be too much for Sheffield United in this one. Um, they're without Sam Field. Jake Livermore and Kieran Gibbs will have late fitness tests. I think it was it's COVID. I think it's COVID that they have. So um, they'll have late tests on that to see if they're available for Sheffield United. Lee Musset is out. Ender Stevens is a doubt, but might make it. And Jack O'Connell is uh, is out for the season. Oh, actually, sorry, I'm reading that Mosset may be available, so he could be on the bench. If he is, that's huge. If they can get him back, he will make such a difference to them. Him and Brewster's the front two that they really want to have. Um, I think West Brom will have a bit too much going forward. If I'm honest. I'm going to say West Brom get the win here. I'm going to say they win 2-1. And that leaves Sheffield United then as the only team without a win and a little bit of drift at the foot of the table. Uh, It could get worse for them, depending on how the rest of the weekend's games go. But, you know, Burnley and and Fulham are both facing very, very tough games. So, um, 
it might not be as bad. But yeah, I'm going to say West Brom win 2-1. Yeah, it's it's much needed win for either team. Huge, huge win. Like, Sheffield United need it more. If Sheffield United get this win, they'll jump to four points and at least then they're kind of back in the mix. And it, but it's not a disaster for West Brom because there'd only be a point behind them, a point behind Fulham, two points behind Burnley, and that group is still very tight. Um, but if if West Brom win, then it you know it's a three point gap um, from Sheffield United to anybody. So that will be that will be a concern to them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It'd be it'd be a shame. Um, for Sheffield to kind of die this death after what happened last season. Um, but we'll move on to Sunday's game and what should be a fun game and what tends to be a fun game in in recent years is Southampton v Man United. Um, again, maybe neither team can defence, albeit Southampton seem to be improving in that regard. Um, what what do you see here? Southampton obviously without Danny Ings. Not sure on Man United's injury list, but Shea Adams seems to have grew into a a very good Premier League striker after a, a what's the confidence building first year. Yeah, I think from from lockdown when 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 we football restarted after the lockdown until now, we've seen uh, Shea Adams just continue to get better, continue to develop. I think he had a, a, a rough start to life at Southampton and life in the Premier League in general. And there was some talk last January that they were prepared to loan him out because they were having doubts over whether he could adapt. But as with Ralph, um, they kept the faith and they've been rewarded for it. He's proven himself to be a very good partner for Danny Ings and a really good um, substitute for Danny Ings when Ings is out. Ings will again be out for this one. Nathan Redmond is is ruled out. Will Smallbone is back in training and could make a return. Uh, Mohamed Salisu, he'll have a fitness test, but he's just working his way back. Obviously, he arrived injured and um, is yet to play. And he may not play much this season at all. I mean, they're they're doing well defensively. Bednarak has taken a massive step forward in his development. And the partnership with Vestergaard has been working well. Salisu will be a, a big upgrade on Vestergaard when he gets in the team. It will just take him a little bit of time. And I don't think Saints are in any rush. They've had a really good start to the season after two disappointing results. The defeat away to Palace and then the walloping they took at home uh, against Spurs. They've gotten better and better. And seven games unbeaten. Um, looking good. Sitting fifth in the table. Continuing to get results even without Ings, which is huge. United, on the other hand, have been diabolical in the Premier League this year. Like, utterly atrocious. They were garbage last weekend. They've been garbage for all bar one game and about 20 minutes against Newcastle. The Everton game is the only time they've really stepped up and played well. Um, Very, very lucky to have their 13 points. If there was justice in the world, they would have seven. They would have lost last weekend. They would have lost to Brighton, who batted them and hit the post about five times. Um, seven points would be more more reflective of how they have performed in the Premier League. Um, but, you know, they sit in 10th. They do have a game in hand. They win that game in hand. They would go uh, into 6th 
Um, that game in hand is against Burnley, so again, you'd expect them to win that one, um, all things considered. But you look, you just don't know with them. Like form would tell you and performances would tell you that Southampton are going to win this game and they should even win it comfortably. But when you take into account that United just have that front three and Bruno, they can always score goals. Now, they're struggling badly defensively Mm. this season. 14 conceded already. Admittedly, Southampton have conceded 13. So, you know, not much of a difference. And both teams did get walloped once. Um, United by Spurs and Southampton by Spurs. So they they do have that in common. Um, and both of them were at home when they got hammered as well, which makes it even funnier. But Saints have bounced back better from that walloping. It was just funny. I was, I was thinking about this game the other day, and I was thinking back to those games in the 90s, which... You're probably too young to remember, Guy. You may not have even been born. Uh, but they played in like the April of one season and United wore these dreadful grey jerseys. And um, grey and like a grey and a blue. They were awful looking. But they were getting walloped at half time and they changed their kits and said they couldn't see each other. And tra- tra- it changed into a blue and white stripe. And the following year they, they rocked up uh, once again, wearing the blue and white stripe, and um, and got got walloped again. So that was like in, in the October, like it was like six months difference in the in the games, or it might have even been the the August. So they were quite close together, even though they're different seasons. Mm. But yeah, they got thumped twice at, at at the Dell as it was at the time. And was that the kit's fault as well? Uh, it most likely was the <laughs> kit, or you know, the bus driver or somebody. Fergie would find an excuse. Um. And then he'd go into the dressing room and absolutely bollock them from a height. Um, yeah, I, it's been a it's been a fairly decent, not rivalry is the wrong word, but a fairly decent contest between these teams over the last couple of years. Um, I'm going to give the edge to Southampton, though. I mm. think Southampton at home will be confident in this game. I think their movement will cause United problems. They're pressing will cause United problems. United have really struggled at playing out from the back over the last few months. I always feel like Lindelof and Maguire have a mistake in them. Um, United, injury-wise, are actually in fairly rough shape as well. Uh, Phil Jones, uh, but he, I mean, he wouldn't play, but Luke Shaw is out. Paul Pogba is a major doubt. Lindelof, Wan-Bissaka and Bailly will all face a late fitness test, but he is, is is not expected to make it back. The other two should make it back. Uh, and Jesse Lingard is is isolating uh, from a potential COVID uh, contact with somebody. <laughs> Did you see his picture on Twitter? He, no. He said, happy Thanksgiving, and he's done a full turkey dinner for some reason. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, Jesse. Yeah. Well, look, he is bound to play in the MLS at True. some point. And I would After imagine... After a spell at Everton, of course. Yeah, I mean... Would he get in the Everton team? That doesn't matter. Would, would Carlo want him? Are things different now with Carlo? I think it, they might be. Come on, David, still Everton. That's a good point. 
I don't know. I could see him at Newcastle. Stevie Bruce, you know, using the contacts from when he played at United 25 years ago. Um, West Ham. West Ham it would be a, a, a good club for him. Okay, I mean, look, Jesse four Lingard. Nil, is, four nils out, Lingard. Do you know what? A good move for, for Jesse Lingard would actually be Southampton because they play that box midfield mm. and he would be a really good fit in one of the two advanced roles. Is he as because good as Armstrong? I think he is. I think he's as good as Armstrong. I think he's he offers a ton off the ball. He's a, he's a really willing presser. And well, he's, he, he's, he's made... a really good... He's really good at making those runs into the box and finding a bit of space. And he will he's a decent link player. He's got decent technical ability. He will run all day. I think he'd be a good fit there. He'd mm. be you know, I mean you look down the bottom of the league, he'd obviously be he'd be a good fit at West Brom. Um, Sheffield United. Sheffield United would be a really nice fit. Yeah. You put him in instead of Flecker or Fleck or one of those, he'd be an upgrade. Um, Fulham, maybe. I mean, I know they've got Loftus Cheek, but you know they could use Lingard maybe in off the left. Um, he'd be an upgrade for Brighton over a couple of the players they're playing. Uh, he's probably too jazzy for Sean Dyche. Oh God, <laughs> he'd be a nice fit at Palace. Put him at Palace with Easy and and Zaha. That and Batshuayi is that kind of fourth attacker who he's does not a defensive midfielder, David. It doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> not, he, might, he might not be tall enough either for the Hodge. But like, there's a bunch of clubs in the Premier League that could do with Jesse Lingard, and he has become yeah. a bit of a figure of fun. But he's a good player, the same as Phil Jones. I mean, there's a bunch of clubs in the Premier League that could do with Phil Jones at centre back. He'd be an upgrade for he's them. He's not even registered, is he? No, not for the Premier League. No. Yeah. I mean, you, um, men- you mentioned Southampton there. I mean. He's Ralph's made Walcott useful. Yeah, that's the thing, and and Jesse Lingard's a better player than Theo Walcott, so I like I think he needs to get out of United. There's a bunch of players at United that need to get gone. Um, Jones and Lingard are, are very very high on on that list. Um, I think I think Lingard needs to just get away from United. He's been there all his life. Obviously, I think he's. The, the, he's just he he kind of plateaued at one point. Then he had a little bit of a jump, got on the team, had a really good season, and then just fell off a cliff. And he just needs to get away from from the club. He needs a fresh start, and I think he can do well. And if he goes somewhere for you know Jesse Lingard, I think is twenty seven now. If he goes somewhere for like two three years, and then he can head on to the MLS. He's twenty eight this this December, so um. Yeah, he just needs a move. He needs to get away. Um, apparently, apparently, his Thanksgiving thing was actually an ad for some for pistachios. <laughs> okay. I don't understand. I'm so confused. <laughs> I've never heard of pista- uh, pistachios. I'm said- assuming somebody. I'm assuming then somebody else cooked that turkey for him. I mean, if not, get on MasterChef. It looked all right, to be fair. Maybe that's maybe that's his career path. Um, mm. I've gone off topic. I'm going to say Southampton win this game 2-1. Yeah, again, I think this will be a fun game. 
as you said, it seems to be a fun fixture um, pretty much all the time. Uh, but moving on to the other big game, the next biggest game of the weekend, if you like, this is the top of the table clash. Um, Chelsea v Spurs. Um, last week, we obviously had questions for Spurs whether they could be what was perceived to be a title contender before Man City forgot how to football. Um, is this Chelsea's time now to to beat a title contender? Because they obviously, I think they've only played Liverpool really out of the mm. big team. I know they've played United, but that, that doesn't count. <laughs> um, Chelsea have had the easiest start of any. Hmm. of any of the big clubs this year. Um, just how it's worked out. I mean, the, when the schedule came out, it did look quite tough because they had Burnley and Sheffield United as well. It just turns out that those teams have been garbage this season. Um, they had United. United have been awful this season. So, it you know, it's, it's not like they were given an easy schedule. It just worked out to be an easy schedule because the other teams have been so poor. This is a big test for Chelsea, though. And... Chelsea have been been lucky in a number of ways. They haven't had anywhere close to the injuries that other clubs have had. Uh, their only injury at the moment is Christian Pulisic, who's expected to be back. Um, they got quite an easy Champions League ga- uh, group, so they've been able to to rotate quite a bit. But you know, look, they're in they're in good form. Um, they're they're winning games and scoring goals, and that's all you can really ask. Spurs will be without Toby Alderweireld and Eric Lamella, but Giovanni Lascelles is expected to be fit after a knock. Spurs are just really good at the moment. I mean, they beat City last weekend and look good doing it. They went out in in the Europa League last night and they played pretty much an entire reserve eleven. Um, you know, there's a couple like and Endembele is a first choice player, and I think Bale will become a first choice player. But other than that, it's it's you know it's their backup eleven, and um, they look really good. They look really comfortable. Four 0 win over Luda Goretz, uh, even to the point that that Mourinho subbed off the goalkeeper just to, just to give a young guy his <laughs> debut, which was good. I saw um, that and I was pr- I was bemused. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it's just it's just Jose doing Jose things. Uh, it was really good to see Jack Clark get a game last night as well. Uh, the young winger that they signed from Leeds um, two seasons ago now. He's a really talented young player. Isn't registered for the Premier League, but I don't think he actually need, may not need to be. Uh, but he's a really talented player. It was nice to see him get a, get a run last night. But, um, you know, like Heusberg's the only senior player they bring on last night, and then they bring on four youngsters in Whiteman, Clark, uh, Harvey White, and, and Dane Scarlett. So, um They've just they've got a lot of strength and depth. They've got a lot of options. They're playing well. They're top of the league, obviously level with Liverpool, but but top on on goal difference. They should be clear at the top. They're only dropped points this year, other than the Everton game on the early day, of this, or the first day of the season, where the two draws where they threw the game away against Newcastle and West Ham. I think Spurs. I think Spurs win this game with no fans. I think the lack of fans will be a, a big blow to Chelsea in this game. I think it's the type of game where normally Spurs could potentially bottle it, but without fans there, Spurs just look like they're cruising. Um, we did get good news that fans could be back quite soon. Um, 
2,000 fans per stadium uh, beginning, is it next? It's the next league game. Yeah. Not this weekend, following weekend. Um, so 2,000 fans per stadium. It's not a lot, but it is something. I saw a really good proposal yesterday that rather than try and figure out which season ticket holders are deserving, uh, why not give the tickets to local schools and get kids in? Because at least they'll make some noise, you know. You know how much a stink that would kick up. Yeah, but I don't care. How much of a stink is it going to kick up between the season ticket holders who don't get those tickets? True. You know? And, like, in fairness, 2,000 tickets is not making a difference for Premier League clubs financially. So why not just give them away to schools for free? I mean, schools can't spread COVID, so just as many well, kids this is as exactly, you want. This as many kids exactly as you it, want you know? <laughs> I mean, you, you could put a million of them in, give them some 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 chicken wings or some sausage and chips, and apparently that, that stops the COVID as yeah. well, if you, if you have your chicken wings. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean uh, that's just what I would do. I, I I would I would. It's it's coming up to Christmas. It's been a really tough year. It's been a strange year for a lot of kids. A lot of kids are going to be facing grim Christmases as well because because of COVID, their parents have been furloughed or just made redundant. They're not going to have the money for the Christmas presents they want to get their kids. I, I do think this could be a really good opportunity to give kids something to be happy for, um, you know, around the Christmas period. And I wouldn't just do it for the first game. I, I would literally do it until you can get mass numbers back in. I think this is the safer way. Um, and I know that won't be popular with, with, with people, but I, again, I don't care. Uh, you know, I, I want to see the next generation of fans given access to the game where they, currently they don't really have it. And um, I think kids would just appreciate it a lot more. I think you'll get you'll get people that'll just go in and moan. They'll moan that they have to sit by themselves. It's not their seat. That they're you know too far away from everybody. You can't have a chat with anybody, and yada yada yada. And it's all a big inconvenience because you can't get a pint and you can't sing and you can't do this and you can't do that. Give it to kids. Give the tickets to kids. Uh, Spurs will win this game 2-1. Yeah, it's certainly a huge fixture. Um, What was an interesting fixture, probably the time Wolves came up, is Arsenal v Wolves. Is this now one of the most boring fixtures in the league? Because I just don't, I don't see where the fun is. Wolves have become innately boring. Arsenal are far too passive. I think they want to be exciting. I think they want to play an attacking brand of football. And they looked actually decent last night in the Europa League. Um, Nicolas Pepe bounced back from his stupidity last weekend. The key word there, Dave, is Europa and League. Yeah, that's it's true. It is true. It is true. But it, it's all part of the process for Arsenal. This game does have 1-1 stinker written all over it, though. Now, I have predicted a couple of nil-nil stinkers in recent weeks. They haven't turned out to be nil-nil stinkers. Burnley Palace actually wasn't a stinker at all. Uh, Burnley West Brom was very much a stinker. Like, 
a rancid stinker, but this one has won one stinker all over it. Wolves are going to turn up three at the back, probably five in midfield, two up front, and they're going to look to counter-attack with minimal pace because I don't think Adama starts. I think he's the one that will drop out uh, to enable them to play the five in midfield rather than the usual four. Um, Arsenal will counter that with a 3-4-3. Wolves, without Connor Cody, who who could be back, he's been isolating um, due to COVID. Roman Seiss is ruled out because of COVID and Johnny Castro is still out with the knee injury. Arsenal have quite the uh, the list of people who are out. Nicolas Pepe is suspended for uh, brushing his forehead against Alioski last weekend. Um, Pablo Mari is ruled out. Thomas Partey is a doubt with a thigh strain. Baki Osaka is a, is a major doubt. Uh, Willian is expected to be back, but will have a late fitness test. Martinelli is out. Callum Chambers is out. Mohamed Elneny is out with COVID. Said Kalasnac is out with COVID. And David Luiz is out with, I don't know, something mental. Who knows? Um, I think he might have COVID as well, to be fair. Um, yeah, it's it's not a particularly pretty list of, of players that are out for Arsenal. There's a number of them that would start. But um, I'm just going to say 1-1, and I think it'll be a stinker. I think it'll be Wolves being boring, Arsenal being passive, lots of pointless possession in areas that, you can't hurt the opposition and uh, everybody will go home and pretend that they're happy with the result. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if I can be bothered watching it, to be honest. You've got two fun games on the same day and then this one's probably just the bring you back to earth game. It's, 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 I doubt it'll be fun. Um, but what could be fun is on Monday, Leicester v Fulham. Leicester um, obviously got battered by Liverpool last week um fulham uh who the hell did they lose to who beat fulham everton everton that was it and yet, yet, yet again fulham with penalty woes mm. um at least, the, at least they scored straight after so it didn't matter yeah much. yeah true um this is a it will be interesting because Leicester played in the Europa League last night and did not look good. Now, admittedly, they played a, a much weakened team, but they did bring on, um, you know, Madison came on, Vardy came on, Tielemans came on, Fafana came on. So they did go for the win, um, but they looked they looked all over the place defensively. Um, Ricardo Pereira is on his way back, but won't be back for this one. Kagla Sayonchu is out. Will Fendidi is out. Tim Castagne will have a fitness test. This was the game they targeted for him to, to be back. And um, Daniel Amarty is out. So key injuries, that's obviously, it's three quarters of their starting defence and their, their starting holding midfield are still ruled out um, or still unlikely to play. So key injuries there. For Fulham, Kenny Tete is out. Uh, Kamara is suspended because he's an idiot. Terence Conglo is ruled out and Josh Onama is not registered to play in the Premier League for weird reasons. I mean, they spent quite a bit of money to buy him. Um, well, they didn't spend money. They they got him in the Cessnion deal, but they took him instead of, I think, like six million cash 
So it's quite valuable. And he was good for them last year. It's weird that he must, there must be an underlying injury there that caused them not to register him if in the Premier League squad. But um, it's a game you'd expect Leicester to win. Leicester have been the much better team this season. And obviously they currently sit fourth. Fulham sit third from bottom. Only the one win for Fulham this year. That came against West Brom. Other than that, they've looked largely dreadful. Um, They should have gotten a win against Sheffield United. They should have gotten a draw against West Ham. They should have gotten a draw against Everton. They didn't because they can't take penalties. Uh, Leicester will have too much for them. I'm going to say Leicester win this game comfortably. I'm going to say Leicester win this game 4-1. I think Mitrovic will cause them a few problems. But I think Leicester win four one. Yeah, there should be goals in this. You'd imagine. Um, last game of the weekend then: West Ham v Aston Villa. West Ham probably your surprise team of the season so far. Mm. Um, and Villa, mm, they beat Arsenal in recent times, but everywhere <laughs> that's what Arsenal are. <laughs> it's um, it's strange how these two teams have kind of swapped. Uh, form recently yeah um, Villa obviously made a really good start to the season but then had a couple of disappointing results Um, West Ham have had mostly impressive well impressive is maybe a stretch but they've had a run of good results Um, they've won their last two away to Sheffield United and at home to Fulham Um, this is a difficult game to predict. It really is. Um, well, injury-wise, West Ham, Mikel Antonio could be back. So that would be huge for them. Yarmolenko is out with, with the Rona. Wesley's ruled out. Traore is a doubt. Keenan Davies is a doubt. He wouldn't play anyway. Courtney Hauser is um, expected to be back. Tom Heaton's not quite back yet, but he's coming back towards training. Or at least, you know, training at a, at a full schedule. Uh, Frederick Gilbert is ruled out. Bjorn Engels is ruined out, ruled out. Ross Barkley is ruled out. Barkley is the is the big one for them. The rest of them are unlikely to start. Traore and Engels would be good squad options. Heaton is, is definitely going to be the backup keeper when he returns. So Barkley is the big blow there. I'm going to say I think Villa I think Villa are, are the better team. I think they've got better players. West Ham we know are going to play a back 7 with you know three center backs, two wing backs tucked in and then those fielders sat in front of them. Most likely then Fornals and Bowen with a load of grass and then um Halar up front. Now Antonio might being back might change that, but mm. you probably wouldn't start him coming back off an injury, or at least you know a sensible one. Hallard played well last week. Isn't he it? did. He played really well, and he got a great goal. Great goal. Um, Villa should have too much for West Ham in this game. They should have too much quality. Grealish has been in really good form. Watkins has been in really good form. Hurhan should step into midfield to replace uh, Barkley. Different type of player, but good player, offers a lot of energy, decent on the ball. 
I'm going to say Villa win a, a tight 2-1. I think this will be a good game, though. I think I think this will be an entertaining enough game. Um, yeah, I'm going to say Villa win 2-1. Can't believe you didn't recommend Marvellous Nakamba. I love Marvellous. Partly because of his name, partly because he just plays with reckless abandon. Just What does he do? He goes and kicks people. There's nothing subtle about what Marvellous does. He just goes out and he kicks people. But he goes box to box really well. But I think they'll want a little bit more on the ball. And I think that's where Hurahan is probably a step ahead of him. Um, The Barkley loss is big. But Watkins, I think, will cause West Ham problems. Trezeguet, with his work rate and his willingness to, to run in off the flank... Um, and Gre- Grealish is just in such good form. Yeah, I'm going to say Villa win 2-1. And that's it. That's the uh, last game of the weekend. That is it. That is 10 games. Um, as usual, um, I will have gotten eight of them wrong, which is, you know, which is what, what I do. Um, but it's fun to do anyway. Um, and that is it. That is us for this week, for this day. Uh, Thank you, as always, to Guy for his help. Thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. And thank you to you, as always, for listening and putting up with me for another week. Um, we are rapidly approaching 100 shows, Guy, um, which is, you know, I think quite quite remarkable uh, to do this every day. I think I think this is, I'm to my knowledge, this is the only daily Premier League-focused uh, podcast. So that's, you know, it's a nice little niche that we've, we've carved and... Um, yeah, plowing on towards towards 100 episodes. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. Hopefully you will stick with us. Tell a friend. Uh, give a review. You know, five stars would be great. You don't have to say anything nice. You just The five stars is what helps the algorithm. Um, and that's it. That is me for the week. Take care of yourselves. Have a great weekend. We'll speak to you on Monday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.